All right, Blair, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything you'd like to plug from USA Truck? Yeah, so USAT Connect is our uh, driver hub app on our on our uh, telematics devices where they get access to all the self-service uh, items that uh, were never self-serviced before. And uh, in fact, one of the new items that's going on to that here in the next uh, probably 15 to 30 days is going to be the ability for them to adjust their own fuel routes without having to call into a dispatch. So, I mean, we're just continually doing everything to take all the friction out of the business for them so that they can do their jobs. Welcome back to the Yard Jockeys podcast. Today we're talking to Blair Yule from USA Truck. We talk about the lost decade. We talk about how he fixed the culture and, of course, their famous self-dispatch program. Coming up next. So, to start us off, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit how you got into trucking, how you got into transportation, and how long you've been in it. Yeah, so uh, I got my start back in uh, 1985. I uh, was in school, freshman in school, and uh, I needed a job. And uh, I, so I, I took a job as a, uh, a clerk at Rider Freight Systems, yeah, uh, working the night shift of all things. And really, my job was to uh, answer phone calls from drivers and, and um, help them uh, assist them with fuel and or comm checks as they needed them uh, for uh, lumping services, et cetera. So it just was a really fast paced environment. I loved it. And I thought man, I could, I could do this. I mean, this is a good career path. So right. I really, I spent a lot of time kind of talking to, you know, some of the people that were veterans in the industry and, and started uh, looking to them for mentorship and, and uh, just started growing my career from there. Uh, so much so, I, I, to be honest, I didn't even finish school. I mean, I just went, I dove right in. And, uh, and I, so I've been doing it for 37 years now. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the greater uh, I guess, legacy founders in business. Uh, I, I uh, spent about 10 years with Dick Simon Trucking, who later became Central Refrigerated, oh, okay. uh, which yeah. was part of the SWIFT network. Uh, I was at SWIFT for 13 years, and I've been doing turnaround projects uh, since I left SWIFT. So um, decided when I came to USA Truck uh, uh, that this would be my last destination. Okay. Um, we've put a lot of effort into, uh, USA truck and, and, uh, we've really enjoyed it. Now I was reading some articles in, uh, CCJ about USA truck. And, uh, when you got there, what I read was they had called the previous decade, the lost decade. Can you tell us a little bit about what that meant and what the challenges were when you got there? Yeah. So I, I'll try to summarize the lost decade with. Uh, the fact that the industry was changing and they were not, uh, their, their uh, network was in disarray. Um, there was a lot of old school thought around how to operate the business. There was a lot of strife with the founder uh, and the stock market. And so uh, when the board released Bob Powell from uh, service at the company, he then uh, spitefully sold off all of his shares to uh, another large carrier. Uh, and so there was just a lot of turmoil um, that, uh, you know, you can't lose for 10 years and, and you know, have a good view of your yourself or your uh, work that you're doing. So our main job was to just come in and reset the culture. So if you come in and you see, I mean, you kind of 
say culture, but was there something specifically when you come in, you see that there's that much to deal with? What was your first thought or what was your first point of attack on where to fix things? So I used my first 90 days to, to kind of ferret out all of the issues. And then I, I um, evaluated them and I put them into, you know, what's high impact, hard to do, what's, you know, easy to do with higher impact. And then you start to uh, kind of put things in an order of how you would attack them. I, our main issues when I, when I arrived were our driver turnover was like 150%. Um, our network was a complete train wreck. And um, we had very low morale. Um, people were tired of losing. Uh, in fact, I think they actually expected to lose. And so it's really hard to motivate that, that kind of uh, thought. So that, the biggest thing to work on for me, I think, was the culture. Because a lot of people that are engaged and, and rowing in the same direction can accomplish a lot, right? So I needed them to be able to accomplish that. So I read a book one time by, it was Vince Lombardi's nephew or grand, I can't remember, but he is the guy that worked with uh, Bill Belichick to create the current system of how they grade players in the NFL. He works with Bill Walsh. He's worked with Nick Saban some. And the biggest takeaway I took from the book, he said that the number one job of a head coach is to set and set the culture and then hold everyone accountable to it. Would you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. Absolutely. Our culture is, you know, we have our guiding principles um, and one of them is accountability. And we have probably spent more time teaching people how to productively use accountability. I think people think accountability is a negative word. Right. Uh, Yeah. Go into that. Yeah. You have to hold yourself accountable to the good and the bad, uh, but you also have to help hold others accountable and, and I think that was probably the biggest part of the culture was that they would kind of talk behind each other's back, but they wouldn't go straight to a person and have an adult conversation kind of thing. So, um, so we've made so much improvement in that area. I, I, I mean, I'm just blown away uh, with the progress of this uh, group of people. And I'll tell you, we haven't had a lot of turnover through the, the process. I, I literally, um, and I hate to talk about this because it, it's somewhat upsetting to me that I can't turn somebody around, but I only had one leader that I couldn't turn around and I had to make them available to the rest of the industry because it was harmful to the rest of the group. So, I mean, that's uh, accountability big time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, with accountability, I think a lot of people think of accountability as uh, you're going to find out the bad things I've done as opposed to I'm going to clearly know where I stand with everyone. So I always know I'm on the right path. Right. Yeah, I think there's many components to accountability. One of them is being able to receive feedback. Um, That that thought of feedback being a gift, uh, meaning that you now know exactly where you stand and what you have to work on. um, Is I appreciate a lot. I get a lot of feedback too because I'm telling you, (laughs) I I have a lot of room to grow. But I I really appreciate feedback and and I think my, my team really appreciates feedback now and they view it as a very positive thing. Yeah. Well, um, so let's kind of get back to you, you come into this fleet, there's a lot of culture issues. You start diving into figuring out the culture and then fixing it and setting it right. Somewhere along the line, you get to the idea of self-dispatch. 
Yeah. How, how did you, how did you come up with that idea or did you come up, where did that come from? So it really kind of, it grew out of um, our attempts to continue to distance ourselves from the uh, ABC type laws, you know, where the, you know, treating an owner operator as an employee. Uh, at that point in time, we had been, you know, basically assigning them to driver managers who then planned them and then, you know, dispatched them. We did not have the degree of separation that we felt like we needed. Um, and I don't think that the independent contractors really had a sense of being um, truly their own business either. You know, so they're just kind of stuck in this company driver mentality. Uh, so we created the load board and initially we created it so they could just pick whatever loads they wanted to in our network. Um, it evolved from there. Uh, and I remember two of my team members came in and talked to me one day and they said, hey, you know, we'd like to experiment with this load board for company drivers. And I was like, OK, let's take 30. Minutes. Let's do it. Let's see yeah. what pitfalls are there. You know, it can't hurt. And uh Man, it was wildly successful. We put one of our very best, brightest uh, uh, graduates fresh out of school uh, to, uh, you know, do the coordination. And then we guided that person so that they could understand some, maybe some of the nuances that, that they hadn't had experience with yet. And then it just kind of grew. And I'm like, well, let's look at the metrics now. What are these guys doing that we aren't doing as, you know, driver managers to the traditional setup? Their turnover was lower, their production was higher, the drivers were happier, their home time was more um, uh, predictable, and, and I think they saw a work-life balance coming out of that. And I, then I learned something I really didn't appreciate until uh, speaking with some of these drivers. They're like, hey, you know sometimes I'm just tired. Like, do you ever wake up and you're just tired? Yeah. You're like, man, I need a day. I just need yeah. a day. Right. Well, these guys have the ability to take, you know, what I'll call a mental health day or, you know, this re, you know, refuel. And so I think that's just where we started going down the path of, man, we got to make choices for drivers. They, I mean, we've got to give them choices, but we've got to give them work-life balance. We've got to give them the opportunity to feel like a part of something bigger. And uh, it's really, it's really worked well. Well, how hard of that, you know, we talk about, you know, owner operators picking their own, you know, loads. That's not crazy. But when you start talking about company drivers picking their own loads, was that difficult to get everyone on board at the company? Was there a lot of pushback or? No, there wasn't any pushback at all. I think, well, I think if I had any pushback, it was just maybe from some concerned sales folks wondering how would we manage our committed service levels on particular customers. We answered that question with, we defined our network so tight yeah. and with so much density that they're going to take this load or that load there within them of each other. And it's, you know, it's our primary customers that we're, uh, that we're servicing. So it, it, although it was a concern, it ended up not being um, a major issue. Now I'll tell you, we do have a group of drivers that are not qualified in our opinion to be load board drivers. They're brand new. They're in their first year, or maybe in their second year, or their production hasn't been where it needed to be, et cetera. We use those guys to, first of all, we maximize their you know, revenue and, and miles is, and, and all that. None of that has changed, but we can use them to kind of clean up those service issues where maybe um, a load wasn't selected that it, it needs to go. So you implement this, this program 
And obviously you talked about turnover being as bad as 150% at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, what have been the, the metrics that you have seen from implementing this program? Uh, I would say over 100% improvement in driver turnover. Wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's pretty huge. And I imagine it's not just the program. I'm sure the, the culture change had a big effect on there, that. But. There, yeah, there are a lot of things that we're doing in our culture. Um, you know, for so many years, our industry has just gotten this wrong. Um, they've marginalized the driver. Um, we, we cared about this before the supply chain issues. But, I mean, it's really starting to bear fruit now. But, like, they marginalized the driver they don't, you know, haven't treated them humanely in many cases. And we've just been on this march of like, we're going to give them new experiences that change their beliefs, um, that drive different actions from them. And then we get different results from it. So, yeah. Was that um, always a belief of yours or is that something like, cause you've been in the industry for 37 years. So was that always a belief of yours that you've kind of been growing towards or how did you kind of come to that conclusion? Yeah, no, I have. Um, so I, I was raised in a way I was raised in, in um, kind of a service culture. Right. And, and, uh, and it's always been with me. But however, you're kind of the, you know, the one sticking out that shouldn't be when you try to provide those levels of service. Uh, right. Like 20 years ago, I'm talking, you know, when drivers are just drivers and you're going to take this load because I told you to, and you know, um, but I've never had that approach with people, uh, whether in the office or a driver or anybody for that matter. So I think part of that in me is rubbing off on my team, but I think inherently people just want to be good to people. They just need to be given permission. Yeah, we had, uh, we do a lot of driver surveys and one of the anecdotes that we, you know, talk about different stories and anecdotes that come from them. One of them was the, a dispatch, a dispatcher told a driver, it's not my job to make you happy. It's my, it's my job to just not piss you off enough that you quit. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. That's just the tone for the relationship there. Right. Well, you, you figure that the most of the feedback that they're hearing all day long is either from an account manager, a salesperson, a planner, uh, somebody whose motivation is to take care of a different customer. Um, the driver manager is somehow torn in between safety initiatives, sales initiatives, and taking care of their customer, which is right. right. And it's a, it's a precarious position to be in at best. And so I've taken a lot of those duties off of them so that the only interaction that they're having with that driver is managing through their personal issues and um and it's really improved the, the relationships that they have with their drivers okay i want to ask you about an idea that i had and you can tell me it's crazy or stupid and maybe we cut all of this but so you know in the in the business realm most fortune 500 companies use what they call a net promoter score or nps mm -hmm. which is all based on the idea of would you recommend this brand or company to another person. Right. And so I, when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, fleets have referral rate, which is would a driver recommend this to another person? Right. And so I was like, well, couldn't you just track referral rate almost as an NPS score for, for driver, uh, I guess driver sentiment. Um, and so then, but then I was talking to some of the people that know the trucking world a little bit around here. And they said, well, you have a confounding fact in there that 
we pay people for referrals. So we did a survey of two, over 200 uh, fleets, and we could find no statistical relationship between what you paid for a referral bonus and your referral rate. So just because you paid more or paid up front or however you did it, there is no statistical relationship. So do you, and do you think that could be like referral rate really is just a reflection of how drivers feel about you? Yeah, I, I, I do. As I started thinking through your question as you were asking it, and I wasn't thinking about it as a means to respond, but I was just kind of like noodling on it. I was like, there are lots of interactions I've had with, you know, vendors. Yeah. Um, and if they wanted to promise me, you know, a free Big Mac, and we'll just use that as, <laughs> yeah. as the item, uh, to refer people to their, their restaurant, like, that's not really motivating for me. Yeah. You know? But if I went there and it was the best dang thing I'd ever had, I tell all kinds of people. So I think that I think that the the referral bonus is not a motivator. I think it's great that they get it, but they remember they've got to talk to this person again. Like why <laughs> would they refer them into something they don't wholeheartedly believe in? And, and I don't think that the normal average person thinks that way. So I think you're onto something there, I guess, is what I would say. I want to dig in more and do some more research to see, to kind of figure it all out. But I, I've been kind of wrestling around with it since, I guess, early 2020. I was asking some guys around here about that idea. But anyway, that's my own personal <laughs> thoughts. Um, so kind of along the same lines, though, I know you and I talked when we spoke at uh, – CCJ Symposium, you told me what a game changer workhound had been for you. Can you tell me a little bit about working with them and what that's been like? Yeah, it's been really, really great. Actually, we have a good relationship with them. Um, they're all about the data. Right. Uh, and they want you to have it in however you want it presented. And so we have it um, sliced up by terminal, by driver managers, by, you know, we know who's getting what kind of feedback. I will say this about feedback channels, um, it's more difficult to get positive feedback um, than it is the negative, right? So people don't generally go out and post positive things. Um, I think the people that are more motivated are literally becoming activists over something that has upset them. Um, that being said, I want all that feedback, right? So. I, I, we're smart enough to discern activism versus true um, concerns. And, and so we, we watch our scores kind of ebb and flow and it just depends on what's going, literally what's going on in the world right now can really send a shockwave through feedback channels. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it's been very insightful for us. We get a lot of great feedback through there. We, we do a, uh, a call every couple of weeks where, we invite all of our drivers, no matter where they're at, to join on this call and we read this feedback that we've received. And there's a couple of reasons why we do that. One, we're reading it. They need right. to know. Yeah, they're, that's a good point. They're being heard, right? So you're being heard, which is almost more important than being answered. Um, so they're being heard, but then we're also addressing, there's things, there's changes that we've made in response to your feedback. And I think there's always going to be 
unsavory things about our industry. It just is what it is on the outside right. of the walls. You know, I can't control traffic. I can't control right. regulations. I can't even control shippers. And a lot of times we give them feedback, but they, they're so slow to move on things too. So, um, but just knowing that we feel their pain and we're there with them, I think has made a huge difference. Well, um, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover. Is there anything you would want to say in closing or well um like i said we're on we're embarking and have been we've been on this mission for a while of changing uh the way the driver experience happens at usa truck i'd love to help the rest of the industry change the way the driver experience happens because we all need more drivers yeah um i'm happy to say i've heard all the nightmarish stories from a lot of the other carriers about their you know uh driver need woes uh, and the empty trucks. And I've been thankful that, you know, we have not had that issue here. Um, we're, we're seemingly keeping up with our retention. And, um, and so I would say that uh, there's something to the culture and people need to pay attention to it because it's why they're not attracted to our industry. They hear all the bad stories about, you know, uh, forced dispatch or being yelled at or, you know, not getting their payroll correct or not being able to get home. And so um, we really like to spend a lot of time on the culture. In fact, we were kicking off a uh, major um, corporate wide endeavor in April okay. that we think is going to be a game changer for our culture. Oh, cool. We'll have to have you back on to hear about yeah. that one. Sure. Um, we can do it. Well, I think that about covers everything for me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Yard Jockeys. If you want to know more about my thoughts on referral rates, go to the Talent Intelligence Resource page on RandallReilly.com. You can find that and also the episode with Katie Love from WorkHound.